Praise the Lord. Father, we thank you. Thank you for the opportunity that you give us, Lord, each Sabbath day to worship you, to love you, to exalt the holy name of Jesus. And we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to speak, to preach. Pray, God, that your heart would flow through my lips and that our ears would be attentive, O God, to the words that you would speak to your church. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to speak to you this morning on the biblical analysis of Psalm 1. One of my favorite psalms, and I felt led of the Lord to restudy it, rethink it, and ask God for his thoughts. Palm trees, Psalm 92, 12. The righteous shall flourish like the palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Referring to Solomon and the temple in the Old Testament, 1 Kings 6.29 reveals, And he carved all the walls of the house round about with carved figures of cherubims and palm trees and open flowers within and without. In Deuteronomy chapter 34 and verse 3, And the south and the plain of the valley of Jericho, the city of palms trees, Unto Zor. In the New Testament, when Jesus was making his triumphant entry into Jerusalem, the people took palm tree branches and went forth to meet Jesus. In John chapter 12, verse 3, they took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that comes in the name of the Lord. Palm trees are an emblem of victory as it's revealed in Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9. After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. So this morning I'd like to speak to you on Psalm 1. And in that psalm you'll see that we are trees planted by the rivers of water. The Bible says in Psalm 1 and verse 1, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. So many people bypass the word blessed. It's probably the most important word in that psalm to me. The word blessed, of course, means to be very happy. It means to go straight on or make progress. It has the intention to advance, to be led on and to be led by. It means to walk and go on. Now this verse is saying something to us, okay? It's saying this, happy is the man that abstains from the appearance of of evil. Because if you notice in that verse, there's three categories that God outlines. And if you look at it closely, it says this the ungodly, sinners, and the scornful. Three different categories that God is revealing that we'll speak about here in a few moments. And God is saying to us, Happy is the man. Happy is the man. Happy is the man that's being led by my spirit. Happy is the man that is walking in my spirit, that's advancing and making progress in my spirit. 
You see, we no longer can stand still. We no longer can play the game of maintenance. We no longer can sit on our laurels that I got saved 20 years ago. You know what? That's in the books, my friend. What you did yesterday is in the books and it will be judged by God. Today is a new day. Today is the present time. And so God is saying this. Happy is the man that goes forward spiritually and that makes progress. What does the word progress mean? It means growth. It means advancement. It means improvement. It means headway. It means movement. Stepping forward. Advancing. The antonym to that word is regression and retreat. How many people are in regression and in retreat this morning and call themselves Christians? Because they are sometimes in the category of the ungodly. They're in the category of sin. And they're in the category of the scornful. And this is what the Lord is trying to say to us. Happy is the man that's developing. It's an ongoing process. It's not something you did 10, 15 years ago. Okay? That, oh, I accepted the Lord. I heard the four spiritual laws. I did the Roman road. And now I'm a Christian. Come on. But what are you today? Yes, sir. What do you represent today? What do you represent to the world? The Bible says that we're supposed to be witnesses to the world. Witnesses. What kind of witness are we today? What kind of my witness am I to my wife? What kind of witness am I to my children and to my grandchildren? What kind of witness am I? Do I have integrity? Am I doing the right thing even when no one else is looking? Come on now. Help me preach here this morning. Development as being led by God and in turn will end up leading others. There's always someone following you. God, listen, no one follows a parked car. I said no one follows a parked car. And if we're parked, okay, in neutral and going nowhere spiritually, we're really not blessed. And you know what? We're really not happy. As a matter of fact, I meet people who say they're Christians, but they're miserable. And you know what? The sad part is they decide to stay miserable. Amen. They decide to stay miserable. So the word blessed is saying no deviations, no hesitations, but determination and perseverance no matter what happens, good, bad, or indifferent. It means this is a message of expectation. When the Bible says, blessed is the man, I'm expecting God to do something for me. I'm expecting God to make something happen in my life. But I must cooperate with that plan. The word blessed is actually saying there's vision in my life and hope in his word. It means that what we spoke on Wednesday night, we can't retreat back to the elements we were delivered from those things in the past. Listen, when life gets tough, I can't go back to the elements. I can't go back to Johnny Walker. I can't go back to wine. I can't go back to brandy. I can't go back to that scene. It's not part of my life anymore. But when we're not blessed, what happens? We start to deviate. We start to get distracted. We start to go back to the elements as we spoke and taught on Wednesday evening. We start to go back to those things when we think we're losing hope with God. Listen, at that moment, we're not really blessed. As As a matter of fact, in that moment, we're actually engaging in sin. And we can minimize it all we want. And we could sugarcoat it and say, hey, you know what? God knows my heart. Yes, he does. 
And the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, and who can know it? We comfort ourselves in false teaching. We comfort ourselves in false doctrine. We get seduced by demons and demonology. We get seduced by spirits that come into our life. And not only that, when we go back to the elements, we open up our entire home, entire home, entire family to those demonic spirits that have slipped in. That's why Ezekiel said, I'm looking for someone to stand in the gap. What do you mean the gap? I'm looking for someone to complete the circle. Praise God. Come on, folks. Blessed is the man. Hallelujah. The men are the head of the home. We're supposed to be the spiritual leaders. And women are looking for spiritual leaders. Amen. Come on. Blessed is the man. Now, this word man is very interesting. In the Hebrew, it means, of course, a human being, a person, a servant, But here's what it also means. Champion and great man. A righteous and happy man. Now this is for women also. We're not trying to, God is not trying to discriminate. Okay? God is saying blessed is the man. Blessed is the woman. Okay? And when God says that you're blessed and you're walking in that light and you're making progress with God, God is saying this, you are a champion. And you are a great man. Just like he spoke to Gideon. Thou mighty man of valor. (laughs) He was saying to Gideon. Gideon was saying, are you speaking to me, Lord? Is it I, Lord, that you're speaking to? And what God was speaking into his spirit was, Gideon, you are a great man. Gideon, you are a champion. Gideon, you are more than a conqueror. Praise God through him that loves you. And you know what, my friends? Until you start seeing yourself that way, you will live a decrepit life as a man or a woman. You'll stay stuck. And woe is me. You don't understand, Pastor. I have problems. Listen, everyone has problems. Everyone has issues. Everyone has unfinished business in their life. It doesn't mean that I have to bypass being blessed and go back to the elements of life that used to give me what I thought was pleasure and comfort. Come on, my friend. Sin is pleasurable for a season. That's what the Bible teaches us. Only for a season. And then after a while, it creeps up on us and bites us. Sin will eventually bite you. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. The Bible says this. Psalm 1 verse 1. Let's go slow. Blessed is the man that walketh. What does that mean? Proceed. To go toward, okay, to be active in your walk. But look what God says. He says, blessed is the man, all right, that walketh what? Not in the counsel of the ungodly. Hmm. What does it mean? The counsel of the ungodly. Their advice. Their purpose. Their behavior. Light versus darkness right there. If I go to the world and seek counsel, if I go to that world and seek advice, if I go to a bar and the bartender is the pastor of that bar and he's serving spirits, he's serving spirits and he wants you to be comfortable in his church. And so there's a little step that goes across the bottom of most bars. And that step is to put your foot on it. So it relieves pain in your sciatic nerve. You see, the devil has a plan. The devil has a method. He has a methodology. He has machinations. 
And so what do we do? We go to the bar, we go to the drink, and we say, hey, I'm having a hard time at home. Bartender just loves you. Talk to me, man. Set him up, Joe. Set him up. Set him up, Joe. What's going on? And we take one, take a belt, have another one. And we start telling the pastor, the bartender, the pseudo-pastor, the false pastor, the fake pastor, our problems. People say, come on, pastor, you are so legalistic in a dinosaur. Don't you know Jesus turned water into wine? Listen, you can debate with me all you want, okay? Alcohol is the number one drug in America. And alcohol is killing people every day. Hear what I'm saying. And if you're a Christian, and I'm a Christian, and you're telling me that it's okay for me to go down to Curly's and have a few, and come out of Curly's and come to church on Sunday morning and preach the gospel, and you're going to respect me, you're not going to respect me and you're not going to come back to church. I know this isn't easy sometimes. Because what does God say? That walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Who are the ungodly? The Bible says in Hebrew, it's those that are wickedly hostile to God. They're criminals. One guilty of crime, guilty of sin against God and against man. Doesn't care about religion and doesn't care to be religious. Doesn't care. Ungodly. Nor standeth. Look what it says. It says that... In Psalm 1.1, blessed is the man that walketh not, walketh not, doesn't advance toward the ungodly, okay? Or it says this, nor standeth in the seat in the way of, of sinners. What does that mean? Nor standeth. I don't want to remain with sinners. Come on. I don't want to continually fellowship with sinners. I can witness to a sinner. Mm-hmm. I can speak to a sinner about Jesus, okay? I can tell that person about my salvation experience. But if I'm in sin, I'm probably not going to be able to do that if I stand with a sinner to witness to him. And what people are doing is this. They're hanging out with ungodly people, hanging out with sinners. And listen, it doesn't mean you have to divorce yourself from your family. But when we start to partake in their behaviors to feel accepted, or we start to partake in behaviors with a friend or someone because we want to be accepted and we want to be somebody, we're violating the word of God. And right there, you are not a blessed person. Here's what it says. Nor standeth, okay, in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Wow, this is serious. This is just Psalm 1. Who are the scornful? Those that speak arrogantly about God. Those that scorn and mock God. Those that scoff at God. Those that have no fear of God. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in the New Testament that scoffers would come in the last days. And so we've got to look back who we're fellowshipping with. Who's mocking our God? Who's mocking our religion? And who's trying to pull us back to the elements and say, come on, have one. Come on, man. What's the matter with you? I remember one time when I visited a family member. It was just me and him sitting at the table and he said, how about one? I said, no, thank you. 
He says, come on. Your wife's not here. That's what he said. Your wife's not here. But God is. Wanted to entice me back to the elements that I used to know. Hmm. Machination. Seduction. It's so easy for the enemy to trick us if we decide not to stay blessed. But what does the blessed man do? In verse 2 it reveals this. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. What's delight? It's my purpose. Willingness. Okay? Taking pleasure in God's word. Being pleased with God's word. I want to, Spirit. God, I want to serve you. God, I want to love you. God, I want to grow. God, I'm blessed and I want to make advancement. I want to develop more. I want to become a mature Christian. Come on. But pastor, I got saved. Fine. Is that where it stopped? Is that where it ends? That we are forgiven? (laughs) Come on, my friend. What do you tell people where you are? What do you tell people on your behavior and what you're doing? What what, what do you say to people? That it's okay to do this? Listen. If I was engaging in behaviors that were sinful, how can I come behind a pulpit and preach on those behaviors and tell you not to do it? Come on now. If I had a girlfriend... And I came through the pulpit. Do you think I can preach on marriage? If I was teetotaling, do you think I can come through the pulpit and talk to you about abstaining from alcohol? <laughs> I'd be a hypocrite. It wouldn't happen. If, if, if I was smoking in my house, having a cigar every day, a pipe and a little wine, can I come to the pulpit and tell you that nicotine can kill your body and give you lung cancer? Can I tell you that? No, because no, I'd be a hypocrite. I couldn't tell you that. Because you don't preach on those things that you're doing. So, if you have a child in your house and he sees you on the front porch or the back porch and you're smoking, and who knows what you're smoking. <laughs> Come on now. Who knows what you're smoking? And that little Johnny grows up and he sees dad for four or five years doing what he's doing. Can you actually say to that child, don't you dare smoke. It can kill you. And that kid's going to look at you and say, you must be insane, mister. You must be out of your mind. Because I've been watching you do that for five years and you think I didn't see it. And now I'm going to do it. Because it's acceptable because you did it. If I walked around with a pack of cigarettes in my pocket, I'm not just preaching on smoking and drinking and whatever. I'm talking about sin. I'm talking about breaking the ordinances of God. I'm talking about willful behavior that says, I don't want to be blessed today. I'm going to bypass that progression and I'm going to go proceed and do my stuff. Because you know what? I deserve a break today. I deserve a break today. And guess what? You might break the spiritual bank. Here's what Joshua said. He said, here's what God said. Delight in the law of the Lord and in his law meditate day and night. What does it mean to meditate? It means actually to moan and to growl. It means to utter. It means to mutter. It means to meditate, devise. It means to seek. 
means to chew it over and over. The Bible says in Joshua 1.8, and here's a formula if you want to see a spiritual formula. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. This is God speaking through Moses. But thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Meditate what? Meditate day and night on the book, and thou, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then, when? After you meditate on God's word. After you delight in God's word. This is what God says. And for thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then shalt thou have good success. God uses the word success in the Bible. People are so afraid of success. They're so afraid to take a risk. They're so afraid to cross the line. Oh my God, I'm, I'm afraid. They let the spirit of fear grip them from entering into the promised land. And they're like the ten spies that come back and say, I know it's out there, and I know God wants to bless me, but I, I just can't pick up my foot and go into that promised land because I'm afraid. I'm scared of life. And the big guys are there. The giants are there. And they might swallow me up. Get a grip. This is the real world. We're living in reality here. The forces are coming against the church and the Christian. In Gideon's day, those that were fearful and afraid, Gideon said, go home to your mommy. Goodbye. Go home to your mommy. Because I can't. A church of 32,000 people in one shot, 22,000 people went home to their mommy. I got to go get comfort. I got to go talk to my mommy. She's the only one that understands me. Really? And then another 10,000 left. Because they wouldn't do it God's way. And Gideon was left with 300 people out of a church of 32,000 people. Because they were afraid and went home to mommy. Are you serious? It's time for the church to grow up. It's time for us to become a mature man in Christ. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then shalt thou make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. How in the world can I have that if I'm going back to the world? I'm not. I'm not. And I'm going to stifle my family if I go back there. And I'm going to bring that curse back into my family that I don't want to bring back to my family. But you have to want to not want the curse to come back. And you have to evaluate your behavior every moment of the day and say, is this pleasing to God? Is this what I'm supposed to be doing? And the Bible says in verse 3 of Psalm 1, and he shall be like a tree. A tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. What is God saying? A tree. You know what this word tree means in Hebrew? It means a tree, of course. But it means a craftsman. A person who's an engraver. A person who is skillful. A person who is skillful, listen to the, the translation in Hebrew, skillful to destroy warriors. That's what it means. That word tree, you see, God calls you a champion. God calls you a great man or woman. 
And now he's speaking into your spirit and he says, you are like a tree. What does that mean? It means I'm going to give you the power to destroy the warriors that are coming against your life and your family. But you got to keep the circle. You can't let the gap open for the devil to come in. Listen, sin is pleasurable for today. But the long-term results and consequences can be catastrophic. And some of us in this room know all about that. The long-term results can be catastrophic. Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 17, Blessed is the, is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. For he shall be as a tree planted, planted by the waters, and that spreadeth out her roots by the river, and shall not see when heat cometh. But her leaf shall be green, and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. Let's talk about the characteristics of a palm tree for a moment. Number one, they thrive mainly where there's an abundance of water. Their roots go down deep. If they are so far from a body of water, they will send their roots deep into the, into the ground to find water. If we are a palm tree, as God describes us, then our Christian roots also will go down deep into the river of God, and we will be drawing from the life of Jesus. Come on. The Bible says in John 4 and 14, But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Jesus cried on that great day in John 7, 37. It says in that last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried. He cried. He cried and sang. If any man thirsts, are we thirsty this morning? Are we thirsty for God's word? Are we thirsty for God's word? Are we thirsty for the elements of the world that will destroy our family? What are we thirsty for? Come on. People want to argue with me as a pastor. It's okay. Okay. Talk to me in five years. Tell me about when your kids grow up. Tell me it's okay. Come on. Tell me. Tell me why it's the number one drug in America. Tell me why people are dying every day of cirrhosis of the liver. Because their liver turns into shoe leather and cannot take away the poisons out of their system. Tell me. Tell me. You can't convince me. I lost a family member over this and others that died. You can't convince me. You can stand on your head and spit wood and nickels and tell me what your Bible study says. And I can tell you what my Bible study says. And I can tell you what God's word says. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the man that walks toward God. Blessed is the man that walks toward the cross. Blessed is the man that holds the hand of Jesus. Blessed is the man that humbles himself and says, God, I need you today in the name of Jesus Christ. That is a blessed man. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. How many churches fight? The baptism of the Holy Spirit. How many people fight going deeper with God? Oh, we don't believe in that. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You're cheating yourself. There's a gift in the gift shop that God says I died for. I go back to my father so I can send the comfort of what I don't like that speaking in tongues stuff. You think that's all the Holy Spirit is about? Come on, preach. Are you serious? But speaking in tongues is God's perfect prayer to God. 
And you can't go wrong when you're praying in the spirit, my friend. You just can't go wrong. It's God's perfect prayer that cannot be deciphered or uncoded by the devil. It goes directly to the heart of God, to the throne of God. Fight me on that one. But I believe this, Pastor. Okay. I'm just preaching God's word. Show scripture. And I can show you throughout the whole book of Acts, mm-hmm. through the years, how God gave the Holy Spirit with the first evidence of speaking in other tongues. It didn't happen just on the day of Pentecost. Come on. He said unto your children and to your children's children. Amen. But we fight it. Mm-hmm. We fight it. We refuse it. <clears throat> We don't want to worship God the way God wants to be worshipped. He says, God said in the last days, he's looking for true worshipers. The Bible says in Ephesians 3.17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. Rooted and grounded. Knowing what the right thing to do is. Hmm. A palm tree is an evergreen. It seeks water. Most fruit trees lose their leaves eventually after the harvest season ends. The palm tree has fresh green branches every month of the year. This is a picture of the constant spiritual life of a Christian. 2 Peter 3.18 But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Grow. I want you to ask yourself a question. Are you growing? And if you're not, you have to ask yourself why. And what's the obstacle that's causing you not to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ? The Bible says that it will be a tree planted. What does that word mean? It means to plant, of course, and it means also to transplant. It means this. God can put us where we are needed at that very moment. Sometimes God brings a need to you and you're in the grocery store and someone stops you. You're a transplanted tree right there. Amen. That you would give a word of hope to another human being in their hour of despair. That's what it means. That God wants to plant us. By what? By the rivers of water. That refresh us. That refresh us. That bringeth forth what? That bringeth forth life. That our leaves, that our fruit would not wither. What does that mean? It's talking about success. It's talking about spiritual prosperity, financial prosperity, social prosperity, emotional prosperity. Come on, preach. You know, one of the things that I noticed working with the addicted population for a long time was that they might have been 30 or 35 years old, but they were stuck somewhere at 16. Come on. You know what I'm talking about, ladies, right? You work in the business. Son, you know what I'm talking about. Chronologically, they were 35. But some emotional, personal, traumatic event happened at 15 or 16 or younger. And they got stuck emotionally. Emotional. Third world countries. No emotional growth. But I'm 35 years old. Yeah, I know, but look at you. Look at you. You can't put one foot in front of the other. You're scared of life. I want to help you. Let's find out what the traumatic event was. Let's find out what caused you to go to the addiction that has grappled you for 20 years. Aren't you tired of being sick and tired of being sick and tired? Come on. 
Aren't you tired of looking in the mirror and being defeated? Aren't you tired of getting whipped in the ring by the devil and smacked around and a slap not coming out of your nose? Aren't you tired of it? Glory, come on. You wouldn't have survived in Brooklyn, New York, or in the Bronx. Because after you got the snot beat out of you one time, you learn how to fight. And I'm not advocating physical. But I'm saying, me, and I see people, the devil's hitting them with the spiritual broomstick over their head, and they're just sitting there saying, well, 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 well. That's not what life is about. Life is about getting up off the floor. Life is about looking at life. Life is, life is about getting help. Life is saying, hey, guess what, devil? I've had enough of you, and I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. And in the name of Jesus, I'm breaking out of this jail. I'm breaking out of this emotional prison. I'm breaking out of this nonsense. You've chained me long enough in my mind. And you've seduced me with your stinking lies. That's all it is, is lies. He's telling you, you need that. You need to run. You need to go. Look, you gotta look at patterns. What's your pattern when you get stressed? Do you run away? I feel rejected. Where did that start? Come on, folks. This is real preaching. This is real life. Come on. God does not want your leaf to wither. What's the functions of a leaf? The function of a leaf is to catch the dew and the rain, to bring moisture and refreshment to the tree. We need to drink the dew of God's word to receive the anointing of God from above so that we can enjoy the flow of the Holy Spirit. What do you think there's leaves on tree? Some of us didn't even realize that all the trees blossomed. We're such in a stupor of life. We're so stuck on ourselves and our eyes that all of a sudden you're walking in the street and you're riding down in your car and you say to yourself, wow, the trees are blooming. The leaves have appeared. Everything is turning green. Where have you been? Where have you been? I'm telling you what's the truth. We don't even see what God is doing. He wakes up the bulbs in the ground that have been sprayed with, with uh, cat stuff. And have been sprayed with snow and dog stuff. And somehow, praise God, something happens in the ground. And a tool begins to appear yellow and red. Praise God. And we say, how in the world did God take the death? Praise God. And turn it into life. That's what he wants to do with your life and mine. He wants to take the death in our life and turn it back into life. And in the name of Jesus, call us blessed. Call us champion. Call us great. Call us more than conquerors. Palm trees are a symbol of victory. Are you a symbol of victory today? Do you have any ambition today? I can't wait for him to shut up. I can't wait to get out of here. I, I can't wait to get hit the door. When is he going to quit? When God's done. Yes, you can leave anytime you want. Amen. But you know what? Unless we get back to old-fashioned preaching, our families are going to be destroyed. And I can't stand behind a pulpit and see destruction without saying something about it. We have to be like Nehemiah. 
and the wall is down and we've got to sound the trumpet. A brick in one hand, praise God, and a sword in the other. And we've got to rebuild the wall, hallelujah, among our family. We've got to rebuild the walls of our homes, the walls of our marriages, the walls of our children that are corroding and corrupting. Amen. We can't stand still. We have to set an example and fight for them. Yes, sir. We can sit here and judge them and tell them this and tell them that and preach to them. But unless we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, they're going to laugh in our face on the day of judgment. And like I preached years ago, I preached years ago that children will not be leaving their homes in the last day. I preached they would be staying to torment their parents. <laughs> and that's exactly what the millennials are doing. They're in their mommy's basement. <laughs> 44% of millennials want a socialist country. Oh, sure. Yeah, they're promising you $1,000 a month. Go to the museum. Explore the arts. Go to Central Park and do some smoking and token. And then other things after that, because it's the gateway drug. People say, oh, that's not true. Oh, you don't even know. Come on, brother. You don't even know. Sure. Sit back. Sit on your knees. You know what that means. I don't have to translate that word. Sit on your knees. I want someone to take care of me. I want my mommy. Oh, I just miss breastfeeding. Oh my God! I just want to go home. Here we go. Come on, mommy. Where's my mommy when I need her? She not here? She grew up. She not here? She got rid of you. She pushed you out of the nest. She got tired of you, like the mama eagle. She took the twigs in the nest and broke them and they were sharp. And when you came back to the nest, you went, oh, oh, oh. And there was a lock on the refrigerator door. And your room was turned into an athletic room, praise God. And that's where mom works out now. Come on, my friends. You know what I'm talking about. What you do in my room, mom? And dad? Well, we got a hot tub in there. We got a treadmill. We got a juice bar. <laughs> what do you think we're doing? What are you looking for, son? No, no vacancies. You're not coming back. Oh, thank God. You see the sign outside? No vacancies. No solicitation. Right. You're out of here. After 50 years, we're sick of it. We just got downright tired. It was wearing us out. The food bill, food bill was skyrocketing. Utilities, you take a shower. You're in the shower for like an hour. What are you doing in there? What are you doing in there? Bathing? Relaxing? I come home from a hard day's work and you're in the hot tub. My Lord, what's wrong with you, son? I had a hard day. I got issues, don't you know? I got issues. You're going to have more issues. When that left hand turns into a fist, you're going to have a real issue eating baby food for the next few weeks. It's time to grow up. 
Stop feeling sorry for ourselves. Yeah, life is tough. Life is hard. Life is sorrowful sometimes. You get kicked in the teeth. You're like a boxer in the ring. And your legs turn to rubber. And your arms full. And you get knocked down on the ground. But it's no shame to get knocked down. It's the shame to stay down and not get help when God provides the help for you. Leaves catch the life-giving rays of the sun. Thank God for sunshine in upstate New York. God wants us to lift our branches to the face of the Son of God and raise our hands to Him in praise and worship. What causes someone not to want to raise their hands to God? You know what it is? You know what raising your hands to God is a sign of? Submission. What you're really saying is, I'm not submitting to God. I'm going to do my thing. I can't wait to get out of here. I've preached in thousands of services in my lifetime. And I knew people wanted to get out of that service as fast as they could. And some of them did go. Some of them spent an, an exorbitant amount of time in the bathroom in revival services. An, an enormous amount of time. You didn't see them until they, after the offering, after the preacher preached, and after the, then they came back for the conclusion, and then they were gone. Oh, you're picking on me, Pastor. No, I'm not. God wants to save lives. He's come to seek and to save that which was lost. Praise God. The palm tree has its life hidden in the center. Most other trees have a bark which the sap flows and they grow up by an increase under the bark. But too many Christians are bark deep Christians or surface Christians. The palm tree has its life in the center. Listen to this. It draws its life through the center of the trunk. This is a beautiful picture of Christians who have Jesus as the center of their life. Their life is hidden in Christ, not dependent on outward circumstances. What does it say in Colossians 3.1? If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Mm-hmm. Which, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. For you are dead and your life is hidden in Christ. Listen, here's a note. If you cut around and mangle terribly the trunk of a palm tree with an axe, just as long as the palm tree has enough of its heart in the center, life left to convey or carry water from its roots to the branches, it will live. What's God saying? You can lay an axe to a Christian. You can try to devastate a Christian with a trial and a tribulation and a circumstance, a fiery trial. You can come against the Christian with all the machinations of hell. You can ask him somewhere where you want. But praise God, when that Christian's life has Christ as the center, praise God, it will continue to grow. It will get up. It will breathe again. It will be resurrected. It will not give up. It will persevere. And in the face of adversity, it will say, Devil, I'm coming through in the name of Jesus Christ because God has given me success. Too many are giving up. Too many are laying down feeling sorry for themselves. You know what? God is saying, get up. Pick up your bed and walk. Get up. When that man was at the water where the angels came in and disturbed the water in the book of John, he'd been there for a long time. Jesus came and he said, asked him one question. And this is a question that God is asking us today. He said, do you want to be healed? All the men went into this big thing. Just let me tell you, 
Every time I want to get in the water, nobody wants to help me. No one is for me. Everybody's against me. I'm the way. I, I just can't. I, I've been here for so long. Jesus said, listen, I didn't ask you for a biography. I didn't ask you for a book report. I asked you for one simple question. Do you want to be healed? Yes, I want to be healed. Or no. And you know what? That's the question to ask people. Do you want to be healed? Or do you not want to be healed? And listen. You're wasting people's time if you don't want to be healed. Right. You're wasting people's time if you don't want to be blessed and make an advancement toward God. You're wasting their time. Right. <clears throat> and we need to redeem the time as we heard this morning in our Bible Sunday school. Amen. Because time is short. Mm-hmm. It's no time to say, oh, you know what? Uh, maybe, maybe tomorrow. Maybe. No, now is the time. Now is the day of salvation. Amen. Now is the day to make a move. Now is the day to take the car that's parked in the driveway for so long emotionally and socially and whatever. It's to put the car in drive and put your foot on the gas pedal after you turn the key and say, hey, we're going somewhere with God. When a person says to me, well, I I don't know. I say, you know, in my heart, I already know the answer. You don't want help. You're just wasting time. And it's unfair to waste someone's time. What can separate us from the love of God? You can hit the heart of a Christian. You can send the most fiery trial. And that Christian will respond even though they're suffering and pain and hurt. Romans 8, 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Come on, preach. Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, Come nor height, nor death, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. What's he saying? There's one thing that they left out in those verses. The only thing that can separate you from the love of God is yourself. Are you hearing me? Your decision. The only thing that can separate you from the love of God, all of this stuff that comes against us, that God is aware of, will not separate us from the love of God if we stay tall and blessed in Him and walk forward toward Him. But there's only one person that can separate us from the love of God, and that's ourself. See, that's why the word I is in sin. I, sin. That's me. And when we proceed on that road, and I believe our sister gave a wonderful word of prophecy that she received in a prayer meeting about the road. If anyone listened to that and read that, what road are you on? And you know what? You know what road you're on this morning. I want to be on the road of blessing. I want to be on the road where my tree is planted. The Bible says that the, the, the Bible teaches that the, the palm tree grows upward. Palm trees add year after year fresh joints on top of each other. We as Christians should grow and mature year by year with the wisdom and knowledge of God. And you'll find that in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4 through 10. There has to be growth. We can't be the same person next year as we are today. There has to be spiritual growth. The Bible says that their leaf shall not wither. You know what it means? Fade. We can't be like trees that lose their leaves after the harvest 
and they start to shrivel and dry up and fade away. Wasn't it one of the uh, singing groups that used to sing that song? I'm a leaf blown in the wind. And a lot of people are leaves blown in the wind. They're withering. They're fading. They're, and, and when you fade, you're actually dishonoring God because that's what the word wither means in the Hebrew. It means to dishonor, to fall down, to be senseless, to be foolish, to sink or drop down, to, to wither and fall, to droop. And our Christian witness and reputations are in view. And people are looking at our, our, our leaf that's supposed to be green all year. Turn to brown and dry up and crumble in the hand. And people look at people who say they were Christians and say, huh, and I thought you were a Christian. You go to church on Sunday and you're condemning me because I don't go to church. We can't make church a religious habit. We can't make church a religious habit. I just got finished studying the book of Exodus concerning the tabernacle on the Sabbath day. Do you know how holy that was to God? He said, stop everything and come and worship me. Raise your hands, worship me. Worship me from your heart. And in the New Testament, when Jesus spoke to the woman at the well, he, she, he said, I'm looking for what? True worshipers. I'm looking for people that will praise me. I'm looking for trees planted by the rivers of water whose leaves do not wither nor fade, but do what? Prosper. Come forth mightily. Break out. Go. Uh, remain to, uh, fresh. Make progress. Succeed. God wants us to break out from where we are. You can't get stuck and satisfied. So many people are saved and satisfied. Oh, I got saved. Well, what kind of salvation? What kind of relationship do we really have with Jesus? Listen, I, I, I like to hear people talk about the Lord personally. I listen to conversation. I like when people say, the Lord spoke to me. Or the Lord showed me a verse in the Bible. When I hear people talk about the Lord personally, I know that there's something active going on in their life. There's a progress being made. But when I have conversation with people and I never hear the Lord or God is speaking to me and God is convicting me and God is showing me. Listen, you can't read this Bible without getting convicted. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. You can't read this Bible without saying once in a while, ouch. I don't care who you are. It's impossible. Because the word is for reproof. The word is to get us to become more mature. The word... In, in Ephesians, that we become the mature man. But if we don't expose ourselves to the Word of God, how much time do people spend reading the Word of God? How much time? How much time do we waste as the lesson this morning in Sunday school? Redeeming the time. Listen, when you get older, you look back on your life and you do regret times that maybe where you wasted time. I got saved when I was 25. I wasted a lot of time not knowing God. But yet I see people today that are healthy and vibrant and they're wasting time. Wasting time. No vision, no hope, no future. The Bible says, Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Look what God's saying here. There's three kinds of people, the ungodly. 
those that are wickedly hostile to God, criminals, guilty of crime, guilty of sin against God. They shall not stand. They shall not rise up. They will not become powerful. They will not be able to maintain themselves. Eventually they will be judged. What does he say? He's telling us, do not stand where? With the ungodly. And people are so afraid to say, hey, I don't believe in abortion. Why? Well, I don't, I, I, I don't want to make somebody mad at my family. Who cares? It's the ungodly that are saying this. It's the ungodly that are doing this. It's the ungodly. Why should we agree with the world? I do take my hat off to people on Facebook who are not afraid to put up the truth and say, this is what I believe. This is what I stand for. And I see the courage of people and I really admire that because they're not afraid to come out and say, hey, guess what? I'm making a statement for my life and for my family. And this is what we believe. And I've been amazed by some of the folks that I've seen post on Facebook that I maybe didn't have a personal relationship with in the workforce as closely as I would have liked. But they stand tall. And they're not afraid to say, I am a Christian. And I say, wow, there's more of us than we knew. There's more of us than we knew. Praise God. And people are coming out and and claiming and saying, I'm not going to stand with the ungodly because the ungodly will be in judgment. No sin is in the congregation of the righteous. I'm not going to keep company with sinners. It doesn't mean that we divorce ourselves from the world. It doesn't. We can be a witness, but we don't have to do what they do to fit in. My daughter was in a training in New York City and I commend her courage and her boldness and her stand for Christ. And she was one of eight or ten people around a table where people were, waiters were bringing in wine and drink and scotch and whatever. But she stood tall. It's not always easy to stand out. It's not always easy to partake in your bosses sitting at the head of the table and then maybe one day you'd like a promotion. Do I play the game? Do I become political? Do I speak their language? Do I engage in their behaviors? No. It's ungodly. It's sinners. Because the Bible says, for the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. They don't think there's a judgment. And the Christian church doesn't think there's a judgment. But God specifically told us that judgment does begin in the house of God. And when that judgment happens, we're amazed. How could this be, God? Because this book is a legal document. And God says if we violate this book, there is a consequence. And we can't continually say, well, God knows my heart. Yes, he does. And unfortunately, our heart isn't clean sometimes. And it's deceived and deceitful, desperately wicked. And we think, oh, I'm okay. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous. He knows the path we're taking. We have to go forward. And you've heard me preach this a hundred times. 
You have to go forward. You have to grow. You have to progress. You have to walk toward Christ and the cross. There's no other way. As I conclude, the Bible says in Matthew 7, verse 13. This is what Jesus said. I didn't read it. I didn't write it. Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. What's he saying? And many there be with that go in thereat. Look at it. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Is that scary? I said, is that scary or not? Come on. We're going to get pressed. We're going to become compressed in the last day. We're going to be tempted. It's going to happen. And what does Jesus say? There's two roads. Confirmation of that prophecy that came forth in the prayer meeting. Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate. We can't be like Lot and sit in the city gate. Come on, sit down here. You're Lot, right? You're the nephew of Abraham. Yeah. Come on, let's have one. See, he pitched his tent towards Sodom and Gomorrah. The intent of Lot's heart was not right from the beginning. Come on, man. He sat in the city gate. Compromised so badly that he offered his daughter to the ungodly. What a father. What a man. That's the wide gate. Fraternizing with the world. Let me tell you something. It's so easy to get pulled back in if you're not careful. I said it's so easy to get pulled back in if you're not careful. Because all it takes is that seducing lie that tells you you need a break. You need to get away from that preacher. That church is just too convicting. And yes, it is. But I don't want to stand on the day of judgment and have God condemn me because I didn't speak what he said to speak. Broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. They estimate that 6,000 people an hour go to hell. I was sitting at Max's ice cream store yesterday night. My wife treated me to a strawberry sundae. It was good. And as I sat there eating that strawberry sundae, the craziest thought came to me. I said, you know, God, I'm saying this to myself. My wife doesn't even know what I'm saying. I'm eating this strawberry sundae one moment right now. And I'm licking my chops. Because it's so good. Had a cherry, whipped cream, strawberry strewn all over, the juice, the ice cream. It was just marvelous. I don't usually get a sundae. But we got one. And I said, you know, God, it's possible 
that I can go from this strawberry Sunday into eternity if that's your will. Imagine that. Going from a strawberry Sunday into eternal life forever. Isn't that freaky? Think about it. Think about sitting at the city gate and God calling your number. You know, it's kind of like the two guys that grew up together. And they both love to play baseball. And they promised each other, if you, want, if you go to heaven first, let me know if there's baseball in heaven. So one guy died. And a few months later, this guy had a dream, his friend. And the dream was, the guy said to him, you can't believe it. There's baseball in heaven. Man, I'm so happy when I got there, I played baseball. And the guy who was still alive said, is really baseball in heaven? Yeah, he says, I've got good news and bad news for you. The good news is there is baseball in heaven. And the bad news is, you're pitching tomorrow. <laughs> you're pitching tomorrow. You know what? You could be pitching tomorrow. Come on, my friend. Young person, you could be pitching tomorrow. No matter how old or young you are. The Bible says this as I close. Because straight is the gate, narrow is the way, which leadeth unto life, and few be there that find it. Praise God. One day, you will do something for the last time. Listen to me. I'm not trying to be morbid. But one day, you'll be doing something for the last time. And then you'll exit. Come on, preach. One last moment. Mm -hmm. And then you'll be catapulted into another realm Mm -hmm. to meet God. Or to go to the other place. Which is not somewhere any of us want to go. Or our family members. That's why we fight so desperately for souls. And pray and ask God to convict. Without convicting, preaching will be lost. And I want to just say this one last thing. Imagine if John the Baptist was here this morning. He'd make me look like a lightweight. If Jeremiah, Isaiah, was here this morning behind this pulpit, he'd say, sit down, sonny. You call that convicting preaching? Watch this. Hear what I'm saying? Hear what I'm saying? If the disciples were behind this sacred desk today, they'd say, sit down, sonny. We died for preaching. We were martyred. Come on. We were abandoned. We were crucified. We were cut asunder. Sit down. Let me show you how to do it. Because God's word is convicting. Folks, we've got to get to heaven. And on the way there, we have to grow. And if we don't grow, we're maintaining. And if you're maintaining, you're not really blessed. Because you're not doing what Psalm 1-1 says. You're not going forward and making progress in God. God bless you. Thank you for listening this morning.
Praise the Lord.